Welcome back to Legend Rouge Cycling Podcast for Tour de France Stage 3 from, I'm going to get it wrong for the 10th time, Vielle to Zonderborg, 182Ks long. And one of the most boring stages of the Tour de France I've ever watched, particularly on a Grand Depart weekend. I, I can't believe it. Like, let's be honest. There's no use, I think, for new fans dressing it up and being like, this is exciting because it wasn't. And I would, if we're going to do the Drive to Survive Netflix series, I would say let's not have a rest day, transition day on the 4th of July weekend tomorrow if we're trying to get Americans into the Tour de France uh, in years to come. So, yeah, a little bit curious. And I'll be honest, it, like, let's, I think it's better just to be like, this isn't the best. Uh, stage so that's why we're here with the recap of it and it was a flat sprint three cat four climbs no wind so three km points on offer uh court had i think three from yesterday so as long as he won one he had that wrapped up because he lost a little bit of time and as always this show is presented by Zwift, the online cycling platform that makes training fun whether you're a world tour pro or just starting out in your cycling journey not only can you train and race across nine worlds, including a France world, you can hop on social rides. So make sure you're signed up to the LRP Zwift Club. We might have a little ride on the Calais stage, which could be a good one. Sign up via the link down below to stay in the loop. Or if you're not on Zwift yet, head to Zwift.com for a free seven-day trial. But Benji, two days in a row. Now no teams, no RK, no Israel, no Astana, no Cofidis, even trying to get in the break with Magnus Court. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's crazy, but low-key understandable parkour-wise, I would say. Like, there's some teams out there, like Confidence and so forth, that I would have expected to be in the breakaway either way. But also, when it comes to, like, Magnus Kord's gonna be in there if somebody endangers his polka dots. But nobody went into the breakaway, so Magnus Kord went solo, I guess, to, like, sniff up the Danish atmosphere. But you also have to think that yesterday, 3 KOM points were given. Today, were there were not enough KOM points to actually fight against those three points and take the polka dot jersey so there's less incentive for teams to go in the breakery and try and hunt for the kom because they can't take jersey over anyway so is this a parkour building mistake i mean they got unlucky yes i think what they wanted was tt in sunny conditions in copenhagen a windy affected reduced group with action between the big stars yesterday and a pure sprint stage today but that's not really what we've gotten i would say though i'm not one for exposure in the breaks like i think winning races or trying your best to maximize the probability of that is more important but that being said can Cofidis not afford to send a single rider in the tour de france opening weekend in an uncontested break they can't afford what else are they going to do they got no cockard they got no serious GC guy. They're a French team. Like, what else is the point? Like, even if it's not the biggest exposure in the world, it's something. And it's four hours of the commentators. So they have to talk about something. So, yeah, I'm very, very surprised uh, by that. Makes me grateful for Yolok Meta and, and Androni fighting in the Jira. But, yeah, nothing really happened until uh, Court was just solo. He took three more KOM points and he'll have that jersey for few days maybe until long we or plunge to feet, depending on how long we goes and then we had the intermediate sprint where once yep. again Merck, who was leading Jakobsen Laporte came over the top of the quick step train bringing Wout past at much greater speed with Sagan and Ewan in his wheel that kept Jakobsen behind a little bit and Wout takes the sprint intermediate sprint behind court with Laporte third 
Fabio seconds again, fourth. So Laporte doing a good job there. So Merku twice in two days, Benji. I think Jakobsen's trying. I don't think he's not tried in either of these, inter- in these intermediates. I think he's trying. I think so as well. I feel like he's trying, definitely. And there's like, it's visible from different riders, you know, like Akela Bjorn is only there today and sees that he can't make it. So he like kind of sits up. Sagan's definitely trying. Bart is definitely trying. Jakobsen seems to be trying. But when it comes to Laporte, that's the most notable part of this intermediate sprint for me. He's actually like, keeping up the sprint to the line after leading out Wout Finard, which takes away so many points from other riders. And at some point, there was some like miscommunication by either the Tour de France first, and then I think GCN as well, when it comes to how many points were given to Jakobsen, because Jakobsen and Laporte were switched around or something in the results. And eventually it came down to the fact that Laporte would indeed be after Jakobsen. So didn't steal points from Jakobsen, but did so from Sagan, which is arguably a bigger competitor when it comes to green than Jakobsen is for Wout Finard. So a great job by Laporte, in my opinion, at that intermediate sprint. And like it gives us a bit of a view that we're always talking about Merkel being the old godly lead out and so forth. But I feel like this year he's been a bit less. And perhaps it's just that he hasn't found the rhythm yet in this sort of France, or he hasn't had the best legs. But Laporte is showing some more stuff here but then again stuff could happen at the finish line that might change our mind about that so uh hey intermediate sprints but i'm actually enjoying these intermediate sprints a lot more than last year is that just to me i guess because we've got sagan going i mean it's more enjoyable than when sagan sprinted against like trenton in 2017 uh at intermediates and we were like okay well this is it's all pretty pointless um yeah, yeah, I think Merku's still got the savvy sense. And yesterday in the finish, he did have to go back and bring back Lampart. That must have cost him something. I think Laporte's much better legs-wise than him. Not surprising, but experience-wise, decision-making right in the final, I don't think he has what Merku has yet. So both have positives and negatives. And anyway, we get to the, so the last 50Ks. The GC teams assemble at the front. We see Pogaccia Benji no train of his own, and two days in a row he's nearly had title issues. Yesterday he didn't crash, but he was in front of the Seneschal crash and he dragged his knuckles against the fence when he got squeezed by the Bex train. I would question the prudence of him moving up in the last three kilometers underneath a sprint train in the barriers. Seems like an unnecessary risk to me, but he stayed up, survived. Today, sprint trains assembled. Yumbo at the front, mm-hmm. got this tricky section through town with like Pave, a little bit of rain, quick step, Yumbo all the front, and Pog actually starts to get shuffled back off the Yumbo train. And then there's I didn't really see what caused the crash, but he's he's got nine lives, Benji. He's like a cat. Like he has luck. Pogacha has <laughs> luck. Don't get me wrong. He has been lucky. But two days in a row, he's not crashed when many other GC guys would have gone down. Yeah, and it's like on one end, you can say it's luck. On one end, it's like technique. I think it's a combination of both. There are situations where he is lucky with his positioning that the crash or the stuff that goes bad happens behind him. There's also moments where he's like caught up behind the crash. Was it last year in the fourth or third stage where that crash happened in the last 10 kilometers in Britannia where people had criticism on the final 10 kilometers, the danger of it and so forth? Well, there he actually evaded crashing through a crash and stayed upright. And perhaps that's like, Again, luck, or perhaps there's like a combination of luck and technique to keep them himself upright compared to others. Because let's say yesterday, the crash he evaded, if Roglic is in that position, Roglic crashes out. Like, 
he's on the floor. I don't see Roglic staying upright in the position that no. Pogacar did. No, I don't think so. And he did avoid that crash. He was on the right-hand side himself as well. But yeah, Yamba Visma have been keeping their GC riders' nose clean pretty well. And this is what I said before the race. It might not matter. Pogacar might not lose any time in the first week, at which point it's a moot discussion and it'll win the mountains or whatever. But his team is close to useless in the first week. Like Bjerg and Steker Langen and Hirschi they, they can, and Soler, they cannot go to the front, ride the front, even when it's not full gas, even when it's like, I don't know, random teams at the front, DSM at the front with Chris Hamilton, they don't, they don't, they don't go to the front. And I think it's actually Pagatch's preference just to follow the Yumbo train around. Uh, we'll see we'll see how that goes. Anyway, he escapes unscathed. Hagen Caruso, I think, were caught up in the crash. There were some time losses today for GC contenders. It wasn't huge losses, but I'm trying to look back. Rigoberto O'Ran, it says lost time. Uh, to the tune of like 40 seconds. So EF not having a good day. Caruso lost 40. I'm trying to see Haig as well. So those and Chris Froome, GC Froome already taking a bit of a blow. But onto the sprint, technical sort of, there's a big left-hander in the finish. Quick step, big train, big train. Catania, Asgren, uh, Seneschal, Lampart, Merku, they... Did you notice today, Benji? Seneschal mm-hmm. back second last man uh, yep. uh, before Merkur. They switched it up and they had a better lead out today because Jakobsen won yesterday was still a bit of a mess into Marche there. What did you notice about Gronovec and, and the Bex train? I think he went freelance once again. Yeah, it looked like with roughly five, six kilometers to go, I, I did still see him like near riders from his team. And then in the last two and a half, two kilometers, it felt like he was completely abandoning everything bike exchange and went solo and decided to try and look for wheels that mattered like Jakobsen and Sethov tried to get towards those kind of wheels but the problem is every single sprinter is fighting for that wheel we saw Wout van Aert fighting for it we saw basically every rider fighting for it Sagan was out positioned way to good 800 900 meters to go but there's like this corner in the final kilometer the corner that brings us to that straight line to the finish line that changed up the position in these sprinters so so much that made Sagan move past everybody into like a good position. So it's like these corners are actually vital when it comes to being in the right position before the corner. But if you're a madman that will dive into a corner last minute, you can still take up so many positions last minute. And there's so many sprints that I wouldn't see doing what Sagan does there. Like, I don't see Caleb Ewan doing something like that, right? Oh, Ewan got Ewan was ahead of Wout. Ewan had been yeah. fighting Wout for Jakobsen's wheel again. And in this corner, the big guys, Laporte and Wout, took the inside line. You just see the yellow jersey move up into space 4-5 with Laporte. And Ewan just goes back. Jakobsen goes back. So the guys on the barriers got squeezed by the dive bombers. And Jakobsen, we saw in the Vuelta, he's not always able to follow his train through corners. And he, he lost the sprint on that corner. Sagan gained a good chance of another top three through it. We see Merku doing his final leader. He doesn't know Jakobsen at this point, I don't think, isn't on his wheel. He has Laporte on his wheel. This is the best ever opportunity for Wout to win a Tour de France sprint this year. You'll see, like, no Jakobsen. Laporte into a headwind sprint, I think, going into the last, like, Merku's dropping off at 350. He's got Laporte to take him from, like, 325 to 100. And Laporte waits. He waits. 
He waits, and I'm thinking, go, you better go, because Merku's. <laughs> you see Merku decelerating, and you see Philipson moving up. When you start to see the other sprinters fan out and kick, you're like, it's time to go, and he doesn't, and then he kicks as Merku fully finishes at the same time. He doesn't preempt it. That's the problem. It doesn't preempt it. Merku goes to the left because if he has Jakobsen on the wheel, he's not going to go to the barrier and squeeze his sprinter to the barrier. So he goes to the left and fans out. He's always going to do that. Laporte has his wheel overlapped to the left and then Wout goes to the right because Laporte's going to the wrong direction, being forced left, kind of like when Lampart forced everyone the other way yesterday and Sturvin. And so Wout has to open up his sprint 50 to 75 metres too early because he's not followed the Laporte lead out. He's got Sagan on his wheel, Groenewegen deep, and he goes from the middle of the road, sprinting to the right-hand barrier, squeezing Sagan. Sagan's not happy, and that opens up a gap in the middle for Dylan Groenewegen, who is quicker than Wout. Like Jasper and, and Groenewegen and Ewan and Jakobsen are quicker than Wout, but he's been in better position, and Groenewegen wins this in the in the photo with the bike throw, nailing him yep. late like Jakobsen yesterday. So Groenewegen first, Wout wow, second, Philipsen third, Sagan fourth, Jakobsen fifth, Laporte sixth, which shows you how late he was waiting. Dainese seventh, Hofstede eighth, Ewan ninth, and Van Poppel tenth. But yeah, who's at fault, Benji? Is it Laporte? Is it Wout? Or is it just unlucky with Merku? I think the initial reaction from people on the internet was that Wout should have just followed Laporte. But I feel like when they were in that situation, Merku, Laporte, and Wout, they were near the barrier on the right side. There was still a bit of a gap, but I'm not sure it's wide enough for Laporte to be able to open up into the barriers and then pass Merku on the right. And it seems like Laporte realizes that and decides to open up on the left just when Merku starts moving to the left as well. So I think there's like a bit of bad luck with the timing of that. But on the other hand, I think that when Laporte went to the left because of Merku going to the left as well, Wout had to respond very quickly to be able to follow Laporte. So I don't think I blame Wout for not responding fast enough to Laporte to be able to follow Laporte around Merku. I think that's, it would have been really hard to be able to do that. I don't think I would be able to respond like that. And again, I'm not a top sprinter, so hey. That's one argument there, but I feel like Laporte just should have just opened up earlier, whether it was probably best to the left end, because I don't think there was enough space to the right, but I think Laporte should have launched earlier, and I think that would have changed the outcome of today's race. I think Wout Fenard wins if Laporte opens up earlier, but that's yeah, what it is, sure. of course. No, definitely When it comes to does. yesterday, yeah, okay. When it comes to yesterday, I felt like he also waited a bit long. Laporte, he got blocked in, though. So, I don't know, I feel like it's a recurring thing that Laporte waits a bit longer than he probably should in these intermediate sprints or and final sprints. Because he's used to going for his own sprint after yeah. time. And he's really he's been unbelievable at piloting Wout into position. Remember, Wout, he won the Champs-Élysées stage last year, but his Tour de France sprints weren't actually that consistently good last year. I think he came even like he was getting eighth and stuff in sprints. And yeah, perversely, him moving to the right opened up that lane for Groenewegen and allowing him to win. It's crazy to think, Benji, that Sagan, who people like, he was saying he's washed, there's a chance he wins this stage if Wout doesn't close him to the barriers. And I think he had a few choice words to Wout after the sprint as well. He didn't crash as of recording. We've been checking race center. Uh, yep. There's been no relegation, I think. It's a clear relegation. He's moved from the middle of the road to the right-hand side of the road, squeezed 
Sagan endangered him. Sagan's had to check his sprint and it's, it's just a clear relegation for me. Just, yeah. but I'm, I'm not surprised they, I'm, I would have been surprised if they did because he didn't crash and we see these all year don't get called. Exactly. And to remind people of the rule, you have to deviate and while deviating endanger or obstruct the rider. It's like endangering in the actual deviation rule and then there's like a, a punishment section in the in the UCI rules that says obstruct as well, which like, that doesn't work. You, you, you need to have like straight rules, okay? They need to be the same. But hey, that's off topic. Like, Wout van Aert deviates from his line. He starts in the middle of the road. He moves to the right. And in my opinion, dangerous subjective, but I feel like he endangers again because again, Loki has to hug against him and break. Probably didn't break, but he had to maneuver a bit to try and still come past by that side. So I think he closes the door and I think he doesn't close the door to which Sagan gets into the barrier, but enough to endanger Sagan and at least obstruct him if you go by the small rule that is at the bottom of the UCR rules in that punishment section. I'll have to get a little uh, protractor out, etc., to calculate all the angles <laughs> of it. But I do think the narrow, the the narrows, the barriers narrow a little bit, so it mm -hmm. does look like well, it moves more than he did. Uh, I do think they narrow a bit, which is unfortunate. But yeah, it's crazy that Sikan is nearly winning this stage. We haven't really spoken about Gronewegen. We've had the the symmetry: Jakobsen winning yesterday in the sprint, his first TDF sprint win. And Gronewegen with his first TDF sprint win uh, since the Jakobsen crash. They've gone 1-2 and he did it largely without the train. A little bit fortunate today, but he's just, that's the thing. He's, he, Gronewegen is like first or 10th because if he actually gets enough clear air, he's still fast enough to go past everybody. And, you know, that was like you look at, uh, for example, Tour de Hungary, 7th, 14th, 1st. Today, uh, Tour de France, eighth first. That's been the story of his year because um, I still think he's very, very fast, as he showed today. So yep. good win for him. 100 points for Bex, too. So uh, they all count. Yeah. Um, not much way, more to add from the stage, really. Third, second place. Like I feel like we need to like highlight that a bit more. Third, second place in a row by Wout van Aert. Sure, he should have been relegated and not have been second on paper, but like... It's such a good meme. <laughs> I love it. He should keep getting... I don't want him to win at all. Sorry, doesn't Belgians. Have the this is just doesn't too have the fun. Clutch gene. That's what it just doesn't have the, the clutch <laughs> gene is what I would say. Nah, well, sort of kidding, sort of not. Um, in terms of points, though, he's now got a 17-point oh. lead ahead of Jakobsen because Jakobsen... I mean, he recovered a little bit from... It could have been worse, uh, but he's on 107. Jakobsen on 90. Obviously, you get 50 for the win, so Gronewegen shoots all the way up to 50. Sagan's on 54, so he's now got a 53. 53. I can do maths. Point deficit to Wout. <laughs> Yesterday, it was 35. So Wout just extending that lead on Sagan. I'm kind of surprised both of them have top-fived both sprints. Yeah, I, um, I was expecting... P5s, at least top fives from Wout van Aert, I was not expecting two top twos at all. Like, I was putting him at P4 until P6 for the majority of sprints. And why? Because his sprint in 2022 didn't feel like it was the same as his sprint in 2021 for me. And I didn't have complete confidence in it. But it seems better, but it also seems like the lack of glorious leadouts from other teams make sure that the Laporte and Wout combo is able to stick towards the front that much and therefore 
he gets delivered so well at these into at these finishes that he's in a position where if he's he's not the best sprinter in this race like he's not in the top three fastest sprinters in that no. top 10 in my personal opinion but because he's positioned so well all the others need to use their acceleration to come past him and not to ride away from him and it's it's so good his positioning is what makes him get those top trees and the same with Sagan like I've got the opinion of Sagan that his top speed has gone down over the years no in my he's slow opinion. he's slow yeah like <laughs> okay. when you see him I, no I, when you I, see I him, he, say he, it friendlier <laughs> well no like I'm obviously he's quicker than me but like relative to <laughs> Fabio who you and and um Gronenwegen but he's just as you were saying I interrupted you he's in the draft in the intermediate, yep. he's carried in the Yumbo draft all the way up. It's when he comes out of the draft, you're like, oh, he's not actually, he doesn't have that burst. Same with Wout, to be honest. As you were saying, Wout can't get separation off the back wheel uh, like a Fabio can. But sprinting is not just about top end, it's about positioning too. What about Alperson Benji? Kind of a disaster two days in a row. I think they're really missing Jonas Rickard. Yeah, and like there was a moment where Vanderpool was bringing up the entire Alperson train on the opposite side of Quickstep, but it feels like when Vanderpool went off the front there, then I stopped seeing them. And I think that's when Philipson had to go freelance from that point onwards because I generally don't know where they were in the last like kilometer. I'd have to check back to see how their sprint went. But I feel like Philipson did come up very strong towards the end there. And I think if his positioning was competitive, he'd, he'd probably have won a sprint stage already here. He probably would have won today if his positioning was better. Yeah, I think a lot of guys could because Gronenwegen didn't have an easy run of it uh, either. But tomorrow we have a travel day before the stage from Dunkirk to Calais. So like the Giro, there's another travel day. Um, so no preview for stage four, which is uh, the Calais stage. I'll just do quickly. Unfortunately, it started at the same time as the biggest race in the world. Uh, the Giro Rosa started uh, at the same time which has obviously all the world tour teams, women's world tour teams rather, and bike exchange Jayco flying again. Christian Faulkner, yeah. who's since moving over from Tibco, she won the prologue, 4.7K prologue, with Baker second ahead of like the likes of Balsamo and Kopecky, so powerful riders. And Van Lutten's here too. So crazy win from her. That, that team's going so well. Yes, yeah, certainly. And Christian Faulkner has been really good these last few weeks. And... I think I remember from the women's tour on the, well, I think the mountain was called Black Mountain or something. She was really good on that climb as well. And I would have loved to see what would happen in a Tour de France film if there was a, a longer time trial there as well, where Faulkner can also do her thing. But that's not there, of course. So I don't know. I enjoyed this first uh, little prologue of the Giro Don, and the second stage would be a bit different there. Eh? Two sprints then afterwards. The first one won by Balsamo. Her season for track and track season, just the best signing of the year, maybe. Uh, Voss second and the young Dutch sprinter, Charlotte Kuhl, one to watch out for third, ahead of Kopecky, Consoni, Barbieri, Baker in seventh. Uh, so Balsamo took the GC lead after that because she wasn't too far behind in the prologue, obviously. And then today, second sprint, basically, Mariana Voss wins. Uh, she's still got it ahead of Charlotte Cool, Balsamo third, Barbieri fourth, Bertit Solo fifth. So Kopecky and Norsgaard's top end speed not looking the same as Voss and Cool. And it's interesting to see that DSM, like an embarrassment of riches, they have Benji. They've got like Lorena Vibas, the best sprinter in the world, not even close. 
And now Cool is looking really serious. So she and she was unlucky, I think, not to take the GC lead. Uh, she's 19 seconds back. So Balsamo still keeps it. Um, but yeah, uh, if you want to watch some racing tomorrow with the Tour de France on a travel day, I'd encourage you to watch the Giro Rosa stage four from uh, Cesena to Cesena. It's got some hills. So it looks like a Voste to me. Actually, I want to see how cool goes on this. Or Balsamo of Trek can control it. There's a 2K, 3K rather, 7% climb, 11Ks from the finish. That's going to make this a more interesting and balanced stage, I think. So they start early. Make sure you watch it. I think it's on GCN Plus and Eurosport, etc. cetera. Uh, yeah. Do you think... Do you think Voss wins this? I think Voss has to win this. Uh, parkour shouts Voss to me, but I low-key feel like I'm I'm on the Balsamo train a bit in Italy. I feel like uh, I'm going to say Balsamo. Yeah, did yeah. she win? Did she win um, Binda? Did they protect her and she uh, won Binda? Yes, exactly. They uh, went all out for her in Binda. And um, also her climbing in... Women's Tour, there was like a punchy finish where she finished ahead of Muzic on like a, mm. uh, a steeper finish. And I was like, yeah, perhaps her climbing is really on point. And I feel like Balsamo is a better climber than we probably sometimes give her credit for. I think this is a bit harder than the Binder climb. Okay. I want to see, well, that was 3.6% this is, and it didn't really have any steep sections. It's going to be interesting to see how Trek play it. I'm, it's going to be worth watching the last 20Ks at this stage. Yeah. Uh, but hope you enjoyed the recap. Uh, travel day in the Tour de France tomorrow. Thanks as always to Swift for supporting the podcast, and hopefully we'll have uh, some good racing tomorrow and then Tuesday. Until then, ciao.